Welcome to Stories in the Dark, a podcast about strange and creepy things. Come listen to the dark. Hello, listeners. Very excited about our story this week. I've been looking forward to telling it. Thank you, my friends, for listening this week. I would love it if you would check out our Twitter account. If you are not following us, you should. Sometimes we have news, sometimes we have updates, and sometimes we have links to more fun content. The story this week is very special to me. I hope you as well are huge supporters of the rights of all of our friends in the LGBTQ community here at Stories in the Dark. We always support the queer and the strange and the different and those who need love the most. Thank you for spending time with us in the dark. This is a story about a boy who summons something, but he doesn't summon what he thinks he's summoned. Let's find out what happens when the name you call and the thing that ends up in front of you are a little unexpected. I see him before he sees me. There is no special reason for this. It is what it is, and as it always has been. I don't have control over everything, you know. If I did, I would not care to hide. But it's part of the contract. We get first view, as it were. He has called me here, and I get to see him before he knows I am anywhere near. And so I do what I am supposed to do. I study him. He is young and small and frightened. He should be frightened. Summoning me is no minor thing. I am no thing to be trifled with. He has mousy brown hair and fine, fine bones. And he is lovely and so unlike those who normally call me. I wait for him to finish speaking and then I move into the kind of light he can see by. And he sees me and takes a step back, but not too far, not far enough. Why did you call me? I ask him, and at the sound of my voice his face flushes. He is at that age when women are strange and fascinating. I want to tell him to never grow out of it, but that isn't my job. I wonder what I look like to him. 
I wonder if his reason for calling me is more banal than I thought. I will have to be kind when I tell him he is too young. He tells me why he called me, and it isn't that, bless his heart, but it also isn't something I do. I can't do that. That's not what I'm for, I tell him. He flushes again and stammers something I don't understand. I don't really know what to do. I have to take something back with me. That's part of the deal. But I can't take something for nothing. I lean against the wooden table behind me. We are in a basement. Dirt and cobwebs and musty smelling things. I look around for something, a little bone, anything, but there is nothing useful here. I tell him my normal price and explain that he's too young. He is angry, but not with me. He tells me why he couldn't pay that price anyway. And then I understand why I'm here. You couldn't have called someone else, I ask. Yours was the only name I could find, he says. Which figures, being famous isn't that great. Not when any hack can rustle up a few ingredients, draw a circle, and summon you into their dank basement. But I find myself feeling something, something I'm not used to. I feel sad for him, and I feel angry at what they did to him. So I do something I don't normally do. I break his circle and I take his hand, and we sit together on the basement floor. For summoning me, you must pay a price, I tell him. And I think of something that feels heavy, but in the end he won't miss. He agrees. For your story, I will give you another name to call, I say. For a story like that, a story with pain and truth and heart, freely given, is worth something greater than what I see in a thousand risings and settings of the sun. I hand him a paper with a name, a secret name, a name I should not know. They will help you after, I say, and he takes the paper and stares at the name, memorizing it, before tucking the paper into the pocket of the jeans that hang from his hips, his too large hoodie not hiding how thin he is, or that those jeans will never fit him. Don't use iodized salt next time for your circle, I tell him. His eyes are wide now. 
Maybe he's realizing how badly he messed up. Maybe he is realizing how lucky he is. When this is done, you cannot tell anyone. You must promise. Not even them, I say, pointing at the paper he's tucked away, and he agrees. He would agree to anything I ask. Do you have a place to stay? I ask, and he says he can stay with a friend. I tell him to go, and he does with one last look at me, his eyes large and brown and soft. I hope this world is kinder to him, kinder than it ever was to me, kinder than it was when it gave him these parents. After he leaves, I sit in the basement, Feeling the house, feeling the edges of who I am. People have forgotten who we really are. They think we are mischievous imps, capricious creatures with horns and teeth, pointlessly malevolent entities. They forget. They forget, they wish it never was, but it is. We were put here so, so long ago to punish the true evildoers. We are and we're not evil ourselves, you see. We are beyond that. We are past it. We are everything and nothing. We are the yin and the yang, the before and the after. We were placed here to torture the sinner for their sins. They think we have forgotten too. They summon us and think us tame bound by the salt and the word and the name. But this is not true. We get far more in return. We let them think they have us, but instead we take everything they have, even their very souls. You can't con a con man and a con man can't con the innocent. But to be summoned by a true innocent, that is rare, you see. So you'll forgive me if I didn't quite know what to do at first. You'll forgive me if I forgot myself, forgot who I was so long ago before these new games. It is time to play a very old game indeed.
This is not exactly the game the boy asked for, but it is the one he is going to get. I cannot help but be who I was meant to be when I am summoned like this. And so I bring in the outermost edges of who I am. I think about the old ways. And then I climb the rickety creaking stairs out of the basement and I leave the musty smell of secrets behind. The house is clean but cluttered. There are crosses on the walls, and I don't look too closely at them. I think they're tacky. More stairs now, still wooden, and they want to creak, but I don't let them. I passed the room they made for him, except it was never really for him. They had decorated it for the daughter they thought they had, not the son that he turned out to be. I walk silently into their room, these people who raised the boy, who needed me more than I thought. And I stand in the darkness and stare down at them. There are windows. The moon is here, but she is shrouded by clouds. She does not want to see this, and I don't want them to see her. I stand. And I wait, and the darkness grows deeper. The man turns and turns again. He is restless now. They can sense me. The woman opens her eyes and looks at me, and they go wide and white and wild like a horse about to bolt but I don't let her move. I stand there and I am swelled with darkness. All the sins I've ever eaten growing inside me. She can't move, but she's trying. She's fighting while he sleeps on. He doesn't wake. He won't wake. She doesn't see me as her son did. She can't. I am darkness without form here in this room. I lean over her and blow the cold breath of the grave over her skin. And she shudders and she's still can't move. I am merciful. I let her go back to sleep. But there is no real mercy here. Do you know what they did to their son? You don't want to know. 
I will keep his secrets. I will only say that when they found out his true self, they mutilated him in the most horrible and personal ways. He is broken now, and even the name I gave him may not be enough to bring him back entirely, but hopefully they will bring him back the way he wants. It is just us in the house, and I watch over them as they sleep, these terrible humans who so violated their own child, who broke the duty of parents to protect and love their children. And so I do what we were created to do. In their dreams, I send them into the realm of torment. I gift them with darkness, my darkness, and it runs cackling and chittering through their dreams as they burn and drown and are broken on the rack of my will. I am their jailer now. And they will never, ever wake up. I leave the room and close the door, and I'm humming now, freed a little from my burden for just a bit. My duty. There is a joy in a job well done, and I can hear their silent screams echoing from that place to this one. When I step outside, the cloud passes from the moon, and she shines brightly down on me. The front yard is carefully manicured, everything so neat and perfect, and I just want to destroy it all with my hands. But instead, I lay my hand one last time on the front door and whisper the words I was born knowing. And the house begins to burn. I walk away into the shadows, the flames licking the sky behind me, always trying to reach her so elusive up in the sky, and she just keeps smiling down on us. Death will not free them, you know. Their bodies will burn, and with that, they will be sealed into their own very personal hell for as close to eternity as I can manage. This is... After all, the job I was created for. I see him again a year later. I run across him in a busy city. He is an artist now. He paints, and his ears are pierced, and he still carries the light within him. He does not remember me. I took from him that most precious and painful of things his memory. 
That was my price. I keep it locked in a special place. I will not tell you where. He looks good. Still thin, but healthy. And he walks with confidence and an easy grin. One that tells me the name I gave him worked. He looks healed inside and out. I hope he is happy. I hope he is safe. I hope he never summons me again. The demon you summon isn't always the demon you want to get. And he has already gotten very, very lucky in his young life. He won't be that lucky again.